pictures to uh, begin my sermon uh, from Psalm 42 uh, of uh, those uh, a team uh, dr drilling a well, and I believe this one's also in Africa, same uh, kind of thing that Russ will be doing here in a few weeks. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Attitude Adjustment Slash Hope. Because there are times, and thank you, Megan, for reminding us that, that uh, when everything else seems to fail, there still is hope. Because the hope is not based on us or anything that we do. It's based on what Christ has done. fact is, the definition of hope is anticipated or expected good based on the work of Christ. Now, if you add faith to that, then it has something to do with what we do, what we choose to do. But hope is there simply because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. There are those times in life when it seems like nothing we do, nothing we think, nothing we feel will make any difference. But that doesn't make a difference with who God is and what he has done and what he wants to do. Attitude adjustment is one of those uh, phrases we used in our house. Every now and then our kids would get miserable. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but they would just start. They couldn't stand themselves. We couldn't stand them after a while. Their brothers and sisters couldn't stand them. They just got out of control. And it was attitude. It was actions. It was words. Finally, we just look them in the eye and say, do you need an attitude adjustment? Now, they knew exactly what that meant. Either you get it straightened out or, well, we will help you straighten it out, uh, probably from the back end. You know, that, that's what would happen. And they would eventually get the idea that all we'd have to do is say to them, do you need an attitude adjustment? If you do, we'll be glad to help you. Well, sometimes as adults, we need attitude adjustment. We just get miserable. We go around in circles and we can't figure out what's going on. And it's because our minds are wrong, our thoughts are wrong, our goals are wrong, everything is wrong. And uh, so we just become miserable people. I like to turn your attention to two Psalms that originally were one Psalm, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. If you notice, they go, one goes right into the other. Uh, there's no real break there except what man has stuck in there, and that's a chapter title. So we're going to look at both of them. And you'll notice before we actually look at the sermon itself, it is a, uh, for the choir director, a instructive ode. In other words, it's what we would call a gospel song. It gives a story, and this story has a point. And that's what they did. They wrote this psalm so they could make a point to the people that they sang to. Now, the sons of Korah, as it says here, were actually the choir and the song leaders at the temple. That family has a long history. I'm going to give you a snippet of that history. Because the sons of Korah, those who led the music in the temple and in the tabernacle, had a reason to sing. Because from the beginning, they were not uh, all that right with God. In fact, if you remember, and you don't have to turn there, but if you were to go to Numbers chapter 16, you would find out that the sons of Korah and others decided that Moses and Aaron were lording themselves over the congregation of Israel. 
And they were like, who in the world are you guys? You're trying to lead here. We're all holy. Why should you be the only ones in leader? We want to be something we're not. See, God had called Moses and Aaron to be the leaders and spiritual leaders of Israel. They didn't choose it for themselves. God chose them. And as a result, they did what God asked them to do. And when you're a leader, not everybody's going to agree with everything you do. It's always true. It'll never change. And uh, you won't always be understood. Lots of things are true. Well, the sons of Korah and others decided that uh, they should exalt themselves uh, to a position that God had not given them. And that was to tell Moses and Aaron to move over and let them lead. In other words, they didn't simply want to be co-leaders and work along and minister along with Moses, as they had the privilege of doing, because they were Levites. They were of the priestly line, sons of Levi, but they were not the priests that went into and offered sacrifices in the temple. Those were only the sons of Aaron. And they wanted to be equal with the sons of Aaron. And God hadn't given them that privilege. Had nothing to do with their morals or their character or their relationship with God. God made a choice. That's all. That's it. And so they came and they confronted Moses. And Moses said to them eventually in verse 7, You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. And uh, it's not enough that God has separated you from the rest of the congregation. He's given you a privilege. He's given you a position that most of the people do not have. But now you want to go into the tabernacle and you want to serve in the tabernacle. And God has said, no, I don't want you to do that. <clears throat> so he said, you're seeking the priesthood. You already are Levites. You already have ministry privileges. You already have a position, but you're not satisfied. It sounds exactly like what Satan did before he rebelled. He said, I will exalt myself above the thrones of God. I'll exalt myself. I'll put myself above the stars of God. In other words, he was not willing simply to be the greatest and most powerful and closest angel to God, he said, I want to be God. I want to usurp authority. And that's what he tried. And of course, you know, he was cast out of heaven. We now know him as the, serp uh, the serpent, the great dragon, the devil, Satan. He's miserable. He was miserable then, he's miserable now. And he'll take down anyone with him. Well, that's what these guys were doing. They weren't satisfied to be who God made them. And so they rebelled against them, and 250 of them were told, okay, you want, you want the priesthood, you want to go into the temple, you all get your censers, which were fire pans, and you bring your incense before the Lord, and we're going to put Aaron over here, and all 250 of you over here, and we'll see what happens. And of course, you know the end of the story. Immediately, he told their families... Get away. He told the whole nation of Israel, get away from their tents. Stand back. Now, the sons of Korah, uh, the, the women and children, they actually did that. They left their tents, got away. But the 250 stayed there. Fire came down from heaven and just absolutely zapped them and destroyed them. The rest of them that stayed by the tents in rebellion with the 250, it says... Moses said, if they die a natural death like everybody else dies, God isn't God. The earth just opened up. We don't know how it happened, but the earth just split open, swallowed tents, people, children, everything all down in. 
and they were gone because they rebelled against the very specific commands and choices of God. And then those that still hadn't died and uh, were still uh, standing up for them, a plague came. And this plague came and just started killing people. In fact, is 1,400 uh, 14,700 of them died in the plague. Finally, uh, they took a censer, went through the congregation. Uh, as Aaron went through the congregation with his censer, the plague stopped and it was over. God had judged them. Why? Because they were not willing to serve and minister and be who he asked them to be. They wanted to be somebody that God did not choose them to be, nor were they equipped to be. They tried to usurp authority. As a result of that, uh, many people died as God's judgment came upon them. Now, you may read on in uh, further on in there as sometime in your devotions, and you would get to Numbers chapter 26. And it says in Numbers 26, 11, you don't need to turn there, but if you want to, it'd be okay. Uh, it says that the sons of Korah, however, did not die. And it almost sounds like a contradiction. It's one of those kinds of things that people point to and say, see, the Bible has contradictions and mistakes. If you read Numbers chapter 16 very carefully, you will find out that it was not all of those of Korah who died. Those who rebelled got zapped by fire. Those of the men did die, but the sons did not because the women and the children, at least most of them, left their tents and did not die. And so, because if all of the sons of Korah had died back then, there would have been none, no sons of Korah to write a number of psalms in the New Testament and to be the choir leaders and the choir in the tabernacle. But the truth of the matter is, they did get out. So again, in the midst of judgment, God is always gracious and merciful for those that are obedient. Now, why do I bring all of that up? Why in a sermon do I make a big deal about that? Because these people had something to sing about because they were obedient to God and they continued on. And up until um, the Psalms were written in David's time, they continued to sing and praise the Lord with a very loud voice in the tabernacle along with the rest of the people. Now, these are people who had something to sing about. Well, let's see what they said. This sermon is divided four different ways, the past, the present, and the future. The first thing that it does is sets a current desire. What was their desire? What were they singing about? They said, verse 1, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? They recognized that they needed God in the same way that an animal needs water. You're no different than that. When I was growing up at home on the farm, we would uh, sometimes pasture the cattle in uh, pastures that did not have a stream running through it. And when we would leave them, when they would come back into the barn to be milked, we would have the water trough, it was a big long trough filled up. They would push and shove and, and 
push each other out of the way to get to that water trough. In fact, as we would have the hose running full blast. It would be full to start with, and we'd have the hose running full blast into that water trough. And if you weren't careful, you could actually, uh, on a dry year, run the well dry, just giving them water at the end of the day. That is what this is saying. It's just an absolute desire. We sing a chorus that says the same thing. It's actually made from this verse. We sing another chorus that's very much like it. I'm desperate for you. Now, it sounds different, but the truth is the principle's the same. We have a desperate need, just like we have a need for water so we don't thirst to death, so we can live for God himself. So that's the current desire, the desire for God, as strong or even stronger than the need we have for water in our lives. And then they look back, and this is the second stanza of their song, if you will, that they sung before the congregation. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, they said that is because their situation is people are mocking them, making fun of them. They said, we trust God. And they're mocking them, saying, you trust God? Look at your situation. So what do they do? They look to the, what we call the good old days. Now, the good old days usually weren't quite as good as you think they were, but under a current circumstance, you look back and you say, wow, it's better than I'm at now. Well, that's what happens here. Look at verse 4. These things I remember. Looking back, that's what you remember. And I pour out my soul within me. So he remembered, he pondered, and then he gives the statement. <clears throat> the good old days. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession. To the house of God, with the voice of joy, with thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. They said, we're the sons of Korah. We've been the song leaders forever. And we used to have the privilege, the position of leading people in worship and in song. And not only did we participate, but we led them. Wasn't that great? The good old days when everything was going the way we thought it should go. When we felt blessed, they had past experiences that showed that God had been active and working in their lives. And now they were feeling like God had excused himself from their life and was just letting them to themselves. The psalmists here who wrote this, this psalm are essentially uh, away from Jerusalem. And they're looking for the privilege of coming back to Jerusalem and being in the midst of the people again. But for some reason, they've been separated from uh, Jerusalem into the past, uh, into the northern part of Israel, away from Jerusalem. And then there's a refrain. It's like a chorus. It's going to happen three times. This is the first one uh, in Psalm uh, 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? That's a question. They don't understand why they're thinking and feeling the way they are. I've got this desire, point number one. I have this past record, point number two. So why am I so downtrodden? Why am I so disturbed to the point I can't even think straight? That's what happens when we get out of, uh, out of our, we just allow our life 
to get out of control. And we start only looking at the past and only hoping that we could be at a better place. Now, I'll tell you what. I used to do a lot of dumb stuff. I thought there was tough stuff back then. I am no longer interested in trying to be a tough guy. I can remember used to lift weights. I'm going to be a tough guy. Wrestling. I'm going to be a tough guy. Doing construction work. And I, I, I just was thinking about this last night and this morning. I remember when we were remodeling our house, I carried the Franklin stove in the house by myself. That's stupid. I don't know what that thing weighs, but it was way heavier than anybody should ever carry. I remember carrying a big air conditioner upstairs. I don't know how much it weighed, but I'll tell you what, if I tried it right now, first of all, I couldn't do it. And second of all, even if I did, I would pay forever. Every joint, every muscle, every vertebrae, every sciatic nerve. Well, you only have one, I guess, but everything would be messed up probably for the rest of my life. I can look back and say, oh, those were the good old days. You know what? And I look back and I say, yeah, you weren't really that bright back then either. The point is, you can look back and you can say that. But God has left us here. So we do have a good past. You have been somewhere where God was working in your life and you couldn't do anything but just simply praise the Lord because he's such a great God. So why are we in despair? Why are we so disturbed that we cannot even think straight? Now, point number three. I don't know if you recognize that, but that's from the Smithsonian Institute. Anybody know what it is? That's the Hope Diamond. Uh Jason, I think you came far short, but, uh, you know, anyway. It is not the biggest diamond ever found in the world, but uh, it is the most famous because it's supposedly got curses on it, and supposedly it was cut from a much bigger diamond. It is, it's only 45.9 carats, so... uh, It's the most famous diamond in the world from what I know. But it's that hope. We all look and say, wow, if I just had that, I don't know what it's worth. I guess there is really no estimate of to what it's actually worth. It's not for sale. But, uh, oh, it's 45 carats. I I don't know what I said first, but maybe I got that wrong. But in this case, this third stanza, if you will, The psalmist is looking back and he's lamenting. But yet at the same time, he says, I know that I'm going to praise the Lord. In the midst of the horrible time, I know I'm still going to praise the Lord. And you know how I know that? Because verse 11 is the chorus again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? The same thing over. I know what happened in the past. I know what my desire is. And I know what's going to happen in the future. So why am I living in the dumps? No, he doesn't say ignore reality. That would, be, that would just be not what the Bible does. That's not reality. It's not faith. It's not anything. It's not true. There is a reality. But why do I allow that to completely overwhelm me? That's the point that he's making. Not that it's not... There there are not problems. That is true. There are problems. There are hardships. But there is a future hope. And that hope is more than a hope diamond. It is a hope in God himself. Look at verse uh, 5. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. 
Notice that the hope is in God himself, and it's because of his presence. It's not necessarily because my circumstances here and now have changed. It's because of him. His presence is what makes the difference. Everything else uh, is secondary. He goes on to say in verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember thee from the land of the Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. That's where he was exiled. He wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't where he wanted to be. He wasn't where he could be in the very presence of God, singing and praising God. He was away from the temple. In our case, we don't need to go to a temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. But we can be out of fellowship, and you might as well be as far as you can get away from God. That's what he's, ask, that's what he's telling us here. He says in verse 7, Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. I'll tell you what, you might be sitting here thinking, I have gotten tumbled one more time by one more big wave. It just turned me upside down and uh, smashed me. I was thinking uh, back when I was probably 15 years old, my one, uh, my one uncle and uh, his sister, my aunt, said, hey, we're going down to Atlantic City. That was back before it was gambling and all that. It was the boardwalk, and, and um, I like the boardwalk, but I was a farm kid. You never got to go to the, the shore, so I went with them. And we were out there, and I remember standing in water. It was about this deep, and the waves were at least six feet higher than I was. Now, I, today, I don't think they would let you out there, but, man, was I having fun. I was body surfing. I have never been surfing in my life, but I was body surfing. And if you would catch one of those waves right, it would just, it would take you 50 yards or more, you know, just surfing on top of it, and you would be flying. Well, that worked for a while, and I don't know what happened, but one of those things took me, and it took me upside down at least once. I'm not sure, okay, because when I was done, I know the last thing I remember, I did not pass out, but I hit full force on the bottom on my head. You know, when you hear all the vertebrae in your neck crack and all that, well, that's what I did, right into the sand. It was like, boom, right into the sand. Now, I was stupid enough, I went back out again anyway, but the, <laughs> I told you, you try to be a tough guy when you're younger in the good old days, not that bright. But that's what he's saying. You know what? You, I feel like the waves have just turned me upside down and smashed me. But there's still hope. There's still uh, something ahead of me. And it's not my circumstances. It's a person. And it's that person's presence. It's God himself. That's the main thing. And you've got to keep it that direction. That's our thoughts, our mind, our emotions, our direction, our sight needs to be in that direction. Look at verse, nine, uh, verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. And the communication with him. That's what we need. And I'm telling you, it is very easy to allow our circumstances, our situation, what is happening in our life, to get us to stop talking to him. The exact opposite needs to be true. We need to draw closer to him. 
I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forsaken me? Why do I go in mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Again, that taunting that those that look at our circumstance say, and you still serve the Lord? You still praise him? You still sing of him? You got to be crazy. God isn't helping you. And then we come to refrain. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? I have a desire. I know what God is like because I've seen him work in the past. And I know what my future is going to be in his presence. So why am I in despair? Why can't I think straight? One last stanza. My current situation. That's chapter 43. His fourth stanza. Uh, God, the, the psalmist is asking God to vindicate him, to righten the circumstance here and now. Now, you've heard what I've said so far, and this is a different point than those. Because while God may choose not to change the circumstance, and we need to look to the hope in the future, there's nothing wrong with asking God very strongly, very forcefully, there's nothing wrong with asking him to change that circumstance. Notice what it says, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my case against the ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Most of our circumstances, most of our situations are because somebody wronged us. You think it through. Somebody did you wrong. Ask the people who invested 50 Billion dollars? Million dollars with billion? Yeah, it's with the B. Ask them, did somebody wrong them? The answer is, yeah, they lost their retirement. They lost their college funds. They lost everything because somebody conned them. It's usually somebody. Could be a relationship. It could be, I don't care what it is. Could be your job. Could be your money. It, it doesn't matter. Somebody did you in. God, uh, could you sick them? God, could, could you make them pay? Could, could you make it a little easier for me? This person has done me wrong. They're unjust. They're deceitful. Verse 2, for thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? When things get really bad in life, one of the first things that happens is our emotions get mixed up, and then our thinking gets mixed up. And we can't even really think right. And we start focusing in on ourselves. And nothing else matters. What about me? And he just says, God, you're the God of my strength. Lord, why have you rejected me? And then verse 3, he starts thinking a little better. Send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Not the people, but the truth and the light. Let them lead me. Let them show me the way. Bring me to thy holy hill, to thy dwelling place. That's Jerusalem. That's the temple. That's the place of God's presence. And again, it comes back to the same point. It's not the circumstance that controls us. It's the presence of God in our life. And us being in his presence that makes the difference. It doesn't matter what the circumstance or the situation is. It's who is in it with us. 
That's his whole point here. That's his current situation. Verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O God, my God, my strong and faithful one. That's what the word Elohim, God, means. Strong and faithful one. You're the strong and faithful one. I'm coming to you with joy. I'm going to. There were musicians, remember? They led the music. They didn't have guitars. They used a lyre. It's the sort of the equivalent. That's what they did. And they were leading. They were not only praising God and singing with joy themselves, but they were leading others in that direction. And then we come to the refrain one more time. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? I think this must be the the two psalms that come the closest to what we would call a hymn today. Because there's a chorus there after each of the the points that he makes. There's a chorus. Why are you in despair? Why are you disturbed within me? He knows what his lot is. He knows what his circumstances. He knows God is there. He knows that he can lead others and he can live in joy. But yet there's a, a longing there. That he hasn't connected the two. Russ is going to Burkina, Burkina Faso, Faso, Faso. Um, I don't know what Russ. I didn't ask him, but I'm going to go to Moldova in March. You know what? Already, I'm not a traveler. I wouldn't go over there if I didn't think it was an absolutely great ministry and great opportunity to minister and get the gospel to the world. I wouldn't go there because you know what I'm thinking already. Not about teaching, but when I leave, I'm going to miss Faye. I'm going to miss the church. I'm going to miss being home in my own bed. I'm going to miss all those things, and I'm already missing them. Russ, I don't know how you are, but that's the way I am. I'm going to go anyway, but I'll tell you what. Coming home, we have to go through Frankfurt, Germany. It better be interesting, and it better be exciting seeing Wittenberg uh, door and where the Bible was first printed and all that. That better be the day we have to stay there. It better be interesting, or I'm going to be one miserable guy. Because, and the psalmist understood that. You know, he understood the loss. He understood the hardship. And he also knew that there was a future. And that's what sustained him. That's what kept How do I know that? The conclusion. (laughs) There's somebody drowning. Help! There's hope! There is still hope. It's beyond you. It's beyond your thinking. It's beyond your emotions. It's beyond your faith. It's beyond your trust. It's beyond everything. It's hope. Notice what it says. Hope in God. He is the God of hope. For I shall praise him. I shall again praise him. I can't read. The help of my countenance and my God. The message is still there. You may feel like you're going under. You may feel like the waves flipped you upside down and smashed you into the sand. You may feel like you're not coming back up. But there's hope. And it's not in you. And it's not in me or this church or this world or any of those things. It's not another person. It's God himself. The help of my countenance and my God. My strong my faithful one. He's the one that can get you through. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're a God of hope, of courage, of strength, 